There are 11 warriors. Yes, they are the 11 warriors. The most disciplined and the toughest damn dudes you're ever going to be around. Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom here as we are on the heels of some big news in the Big Ten over the past week as the Big Ten announced on Thursday that it will have a new scheduling model for 2024 and 2025. Uh, we talked with Gene Smith about a lot of stuff that could happen soon in college sports last week, but we we didn't know at the time that this was coming so soon that a new Big Ten football scheduling model uh, would be announced last week. But no big surprise in terms of the biggest change in that scheduling model, and that is that the Big Ten will no longer have divisions after this year. Big Ten East and West will still be in place for the 2023 season, but come 2024, that will be gone. The Big Ten Championship game will now feature the two best teams in the conference overall standings in a divisionless conference. And with that, it means Ohio State's only protected annual opponent will be Michigan. Now, this new format that the Big Ten has, I think they're calling it Flex Protect or Flex Protect Plus, something like that, where teams can have anywhere from no protected opponents to free protected opponents. Iowa has free protected uh, rivalries. Penn State has none. In Ohio State's case, they decided to go with just one. That, of course, being Ohio State and Michigan, which certainly uh, we knew that rivalry was going to be protected in this new scheduling model no matter what. Uh, that's going to continue to be played the last week of a regular season. That couldn't change. I think the biggest surprise of all this, at least for me, is that Ohio State and Penn State is not also a protected rivalry game because it could have been. You know, it, it initially, the thought process was that the Big Ten's new scheduling model might have three protected games for every team. Ultimately, the Big Ten decided to prioritize flexibility. Uh, it, there will be, under the new system, over the course of a two-year span, every team will play the same three teams in those two years. Uh, for Ohio State in 2024 and 2025, those teams will be Michigan, Illinois, and Northwestern. But those other two teams, Arvin, Michigan, they're going to change every year. I'm a little surprised, though, that the Big Ten did not keep Ohio State versus Penn State as a protected game. Because, I mean, if you look at the TV ratings, Ohio State versus Penn State has consistently been right up there as one of the most highly rated games of a conference behind Ohio State and Michigan. It had certainly become the second most anticipated game on the Big Ten schedule for Ohio State fans over the past decade, I would say. And you know now... Ohio State's still going to play Penn State at least once every two years, but it's certainly not going to be the same as playing Penn State every year. Yeah, Dan, because of how close and competitive so many of those games were, you know, in, in that stretch there for several years, there was so much conversation and discourse about, you know, is this now a, a real rivalry game between Ohio State and Penn State? Um, and, and people viewing that differently, obviously those conversations have come up again because of this scheduling detail here. And, you know, for, for those that said, well, you know, Penn State, it, it's not it's not a true rival for Ohio State, uh, you know, the, the Big Ten pretty much came down on that side with, you know, not protecting that matchup every year. And really, Dan, it seems like Gene Smith kind of agreed with that, too, uh, because he went on the Big Ten Network to talk about all of this stuff right after the announcement was made. Uh, and, and he basically said that, you know, it's it's a competitive rivalry, but it's not a historical rivalry. And that, you know, that basically because of that, he, he's fine with that matchup not being protected. Although uh, I think me and you are probably on the same page with, you know, we, we talked about it before in the past about like what what games we foresaw being protected for Ohio State. Uh, should this be, you know, the, the the model they ended up going with? And I think we, we assumed that Penn State would probably be one of those games. But, um, you know, it doesn't seem like Gene Smith is losing any sleep over not playing the Nittany Lions every year, Dan. No, I mean, I almost got the impression that maybe Gene was on the side of pushing to not play Penn State every year. And, and there's a reason 
for Ohio State to take that stance. It makes life easier for them. I mean, if you look at in recent history, the three best teams in the Big Ten have been Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State. So if Ohio State had to play two of those, the other two of those teams every year, right there, right off the bat, their schedule's potentially harder than other teams in the conference. And so I think the way Gene answered that question tells me that a big reason why Ohio State isn't playing Penn State every year anymore is because Ohio State felt that if it had to play Michigan and Penn State every year, that it would put it at a competitive disadvantage. You know, obviously USC coming into the conference is part of that equation too, because you look at the next two years, like Ohio State's going to play Penn State in 2024, and they're going to play USC in 2025. You know, if you if you assume that at least for the near term, the top four teams in the Big Ten going forward are going to be Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, and USC in some order, then if Ohio State was automatically playing two of those teams every year, and then the other one every other year, then it, it does put Ohio State potentially at somewhat of a competitive disadvantage compared to some of its counterparts within the conference. And so there's a real, you know, case to be made there. And I think that's probably a reason why this isn't protected. We know Ohio State holds a lot of weight in the conference in these conversations. And I get the impression, I don't know this for sure, but I just get the impression based off context clues that part of this was Ohio State saying, we don't think it's really fair if we have to play Michigan and Penn State every single year. And I don't think there was a concerted effort from Ohio State to protect that Ohio State-Penn State rivalry in the same way there obviously was to protect the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry. That said, like I don't like it. Um, and again, I think I, from what I've seen, I think the fan reactions kind of split on this. Like there's definitely a segment of the fan base that has been hard on the not our rival train with Penn state. And like you said, Griffin, I think this is very much a win for that crowd of, yeah, like it's not even an important enough rivalry to be protected. So yeah, that means Penn state's not our rival. Like they're not going to be anymore if they're not playing them every single year. But personally, like, and I just think of it from a wider lens of college football and the big 10 and the product, I would like to see Ohio state and Penn state continue to play every year. Like in my mind, it had become a rivalry in, in my mind. And, and I think there are the elements there of a rivalry. I mean, I think, you know, Ohio and Pennsylvania are, are bordering States. They've often had a lot of players go across state lines to play for each other. I, I think all the elements are needed there for it to be a legit rivalry, you know, and, it, and it's kind of funny when you hear a comment like that, when you look, you go, okay, like what's the history of Rutgers versus Maryland? Like they joined the conference at the same time. Like, I mean, m I, I would agree with Gene, but most of the rivalries that were protected have more history than Ohio state versus Penn state does. But I, Ohio state versus Penn state still feels like a weird omission from the list for me. When you, when you look at, the, the rivalries were protected. Ohio State versus Penn State, to me, feels like the one that's missing. I don't really look across the rest of a conference and go, man, like, why isn't that team playing that team anymore? Like, every year. Like, you know, I think all, all, all the other ones that are protected or not protected kind of make sense. And I look at Ohio State versus Penn State, and I look at Penn State having no protected games. Like, you'd think Penn State would want to have, like, a protected game, a rivalry that can hang its hat on and it doesn't have that now yeah dan i was just thinking as you were talking about that like i would be interested to know kind of the the penn state perspective behind the scenes on that if, if that's something that they push for I don't, I don't know if that's a if there's been reports about that or um if there's been any statements made but you know i, I would like to know like you know it was that something that they pushed for and ultimately lost out on uh and and i guess how they feel in general about about having uh, no, no protected games, or if it's something that you know they they particularly care about, or are losing sleep over. Yeah, and I guess you know Penn State, you know they, they play, you know I guess they could maybe say you know Pitt's more of a rival for them than Ohio State is, but just to not have that single protected game in that big in the Big Ten, to not have now really any game that can be considered a true rivalry game, uh, to me, I you know. 
especially for a team like Penn State with the brand of that Penn State is. Like if, again, you know, not trying to just single out Rutgers here, but like realistically, like if Rutgers didn't have a protected game, like is there really going to be any uproar of that? Because like they're Rutgers, like they don't have any history in the conference. They really don't. But like Penn State, like for Penn State, I know they're they're obviously a newer team in the Big Ten compared to the original 10, but it, it still just seems kind of weird for Penn State to be that one team that doesn't have that protected rivalry game. It's also like, you know, the the, the point uh, with Gene Smith saying, you know, it's not a historical rivalry, but I think, you know, if, if you made that a protected game and the, the games continue to be competitive, you you have more back and forth results, maybe, you know, both both teams uh, being at the top of the, the Big Ten uh, in the future, then, you know, that can become you know, a, a neo rivalry of sorts, you know, uh, the longer you kind of keep that intact. So it's, you know, it's not necessarily as though, you know, just because it's not deeply rooted, like historically doesn't mean that it st- still couldn't have been something significant moving forward. But, you know, Dan, with Ohio State, you know, if like you said that Ohio State kind of lobbied for that and it kind of got its way, you know, you, you look at the combination of the new Big Ten schedule uh, model coming in 2024 and you look at the CFP expansion uh, coming the same year, uh, it certainly seems as though Ohio State, you know, doesn't have much of an excuse not to make that 12 team field uh, pretty much year in and year out once uh, all of that goes into effect. Yeah, I mean, to me, a, a, like, is, is this the last year where we're really going to have, like, playoff drama for Ohio State? Like, it might be. Like, I mean, you look at this year, and I think this year, Ohio State's schedule and its path to the playoff is about as hard as it's ever been. I mean, we've already talked about it some, and we'll talk about it more in the next several months about, you know, Ohio State has six road games this year. They have a tough non-conference game against Notre Dame. I mean, they play you know, a, a lot of the top teams of the conference, I mean, they play, they're still playing Penn State this year. They're playing Michigan. They play Wisconsin on the road. I mean, I, you know, Michigan State's still in the division. I mean, I think Ohio State's schedule this year is about as tough as it's had in the playoff era. And then I think next year, that's just going to change. And a big, I mean, you look at the schedule for next year, like it, I mean, they, they do still play Penn State next year. So they, they do have Penn State on the schedule. But like next year, they have no tough non-conference games. I think by virtue of them no longer being in, there's no longer being an East and West division. I think the overall Big Ten schedule gets easier. You know, they do have Penn State next year. They don't have USC. And the playoff expands to 12 teams. Like, you know, this year, if Ohio State makes the playoff, like we're going to talk about that as an accomplishment, even though the goals are higher than that. We're still going to talk about it as an accomplishment because Ohio State's got a tough schedule this year, and it's not going to be easy for Ohio State to make the playoff this year. But next year, like making the playoff is, is going to be a baseline expectation. And, and I think you could go further than that and not just say making the playoff, but making the Big Ten championship game because now – you know, again, you look at the last two years, Ohio State would have been in the Big Ten championship game the last two years, even though it lost to Michigan by virtue of being in the top two of the conference standings. So now that you don't now that, you know, Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State are all competing for two spots in the Big Ten championship game rather than just one, that's also going to increase the expectations that Ohio State makes it to Indianapolis every year, which you know, if, if you if you look at the last 10 years, if there hadn't been divisions, Ohio State would have made nine Big Ten championship games. You know, if you you look at the college football playoff era, if the college football playoff had been 12 teams, Ohio State would have made it every year. So, it, you know, historically would tell us that those should be baseline expectations for Ohio State going forward starting next year. That Ohio State should make the Big Ten championship game and it should make the college football playoff every year. I mean, those were already the expectations. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Ohio State always talks about its goals, beat Michigan, win the Big Ten, win the National Championship. Those were already the expectations, but I think now they become even more baseline expectations where if you don't achieve either of those goals, then something really went wrong. Yeah, Dan, I know you've written about that in the past. I know, you know, people nationally have been writing about that, you know, again, since this, the news about the, you know, divisionless structure just came out that, you know, Ohio State, 
would, you know, have had a chance to play for for even more conference titles had this been the case for a while, which just speaks to, you know, Gene Smith's excitement for that change. Uh, I'm sure, you know, Ryan Day and company as well. But, you know, Gene Smith's kind of wanted this, you know, for a while. Uh, so, you know, that's just an, another big reason why, um, you know, Ohio State fans uh, should be excited, honestly, for the change. But Dan, you talked about some of the the future future scheduling matchups, uh, non-conference games and stuff like that. Uh, obviously, the, the Big Ten announced matchups for 2024 and 2025 uh, for all the teams in the conference um, in terms of, you know, the, the, those in-league uh, matchups there. And you look at Ohio State's schedule, uh, particularly the home schedule, Dan, and there's there's really only one marquee matchup uh, to, to really get excited about in each of those years. And you talk about Michigan coming back to Columbus in 2024 and then Ohio State's first, you know, at least regular season matchup with USC once those two teams join the Big Ten, uh, which is coming in 2025 at the Horseshoe. Um, but, you know, you know, obviously those are huge matchups, Dan, but it is the fact that Ohio State doesn't have more big time matchups at home in those seasons. Is that a cause for concern at all in, in terms of just the, the product of Ohio State football in general to you? I think it is a little bit. I mean, and, and, and I'm just going to be curious to see, like we saw attendance bounce back pretty well for Ohio State football this year, but I'm going to be kind of curious to see if that trend continues over the next few years, because, you know, again, you look at this year's schedule, Penn State is really the only marquee home game on the schedule next year. Michigan's really the only marquee home game on the schedule. 2025, they do host Texas in a non-conference game, but then USC is really the only big ticket home game. I mean, home game. I mean, you know, one good thing about the setup with the East and West is you knew every year at a minimum Ohio State was going to play either Michigan or Penn State at home. Now, I imagine the powers that be are going to ensure that, you know, if Michigan, if it, in years that Ohio State's playing Michigan on the road, it's going to probably play either Penn State or USC at home in those years. But, you know, I, I, I do, I'm a little, I'm honestly a little bit surprised to see that. And I'm not saying this is a bad thing necessarily. I'm just a little bit surprised by it, knowing how much money and, and TV deals drive these things that, the Big Ten does seem to have prioritized competitive balance over which games are gonna get the most are gonna generate the most money in in terms of this scheduling model. And I'm sure a big part of that is the Big Ten looking at how do we get the most teams into the CFP. I mean, you're you're seeing the SEC doing the same thing, saying, you know, we're only gonna play eight conference games. You know, teams are loading up on a lot of weak opponents in those four four game non-conference schedules. The SEC is doing the same thing of trying to get as many teams into this 12 team playoff as possible. And I think it's pretty clear the big 10 is doing that as well. I mean, again, starting with the fact of no divisions, the top two teams and the conference standings make the big 10, because that's just going to number one, you know, it's going to basically guarantee that whoever wins the conference is is going to get one of those automatic bids and probably have a really good chance at a first round buy. Whereas you know, you've had some years in the past with the West where like if a Northwestern had pulled off the upset in the Big Ten championship game, you know, I mean, obviously in the past structure, they wouldn't have been a playoff team. In this structure, they might be a playoff team, but that's not even guaranteed with uh, the way it's structured. And so, I mean, I think number one right there, that's why they're going no divisions first and foremost is they want to increase the chances that their conference champion is going to be one of those top four seeds and get a first round buy and the CFP. And then I think secondly, it's about evening out the schedule and making sure that nobody's schedule, particularly teams like Ohio state, Michigan, Penn state get too backloaded so that their schedule hurts their chances of making the CFP. And so I think, you know, my read on the way this model has been designed is there's a concerted effort here from the Big Ten to make sure it does not set up the schedule in a way that would hurt its top teams' chances of making the college football playoff. 
Yeah, Dan, I, I was even kicking around the, the prospect at some point. I, I mean, I don't think it was ever actually going to happen or was ever likely to happen, but just like, you know, what if the Big Ten comes in and makes Ohio State USC one of those protected games? Because in terms of TV ratings and stuff in the regular season, I mean, you know, if, if that was your number one priority, then then maybe you would look at, at doing something like that just because of the, the eyeballs and, and numbers and ratings that that would bring in. Um, but obviously they aren't setting that up to be the case. And, you know, even with the, the Penn State stuff like we were talking about uh you know everything you just said there makes sense in terms of how they're kind of trying to structure things uh but dan you know ohio state ohio state will play every team in the big 10 uh at least once every two years and it's set up now so that you know every team plays at every stadium in the big 10 uh, at least once every four years so giving the you know a player with a four-year career the ability to you know go around and experience all of those different stadiums um, and of course, Ohio State now has those those matchups with UCLA and USC on the books for 2024 and 2025. Of course, Ohio State, you know, has to has to wait that one year for the the bigger of those two matchups, the ones that the one that you know everyone's probably more excited to see there. Um, but Dan, you know, outside of those two uh, those two games with the former Pac-12 teams there, uh, which Big Ten team are you most excited about Ohio State playing? more frequently in this new schedule. And then maybe I guess, and I, I think I could probably assume what, what some of your answers might be on the, the second one here, but who are you happy that, you know, Ohio State won't be locked into play every year uh, from, from 2024 on? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I'll be saying, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of this aspect of the scheduling model because I mean, you know, I know Tony Petiti when he was on the Rich Eisen show last week, he, alluded to what the MLB has done this year, where every team is now playing every team. And he, of course, used to work for the MLB. And, uh, you know, I think that was some of the, the thinking that went into this part of a scheduling model. And and I'm very much in favor of this part of a scheduling model because, you know, I, I look at it like I'm I'm going into what, my, my seventh year working, seventh football season working here at 11 Warriors. And this will be my first year going to Wisconsin. So. I think the, you know, the idea that everybody's going to play everybody at least once every two years and everybody's going to play at every stadium at least once in every four years. I think that is a, a great move uh, for, for the Big Ten just in terms of, you know, that variety. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, like, you know, again, like you want them to play Michigan every year. I like to see them play Penn State every year, but other than that, like, Am I going to miss Ohio State playing Rutgers every year? No, I am not. I am not. I'm, am I going <laughs> to miss that once every two years trip to Piscataway? No, I am not. Uh, once every <laughs> once every four years is good enough for me on that. So uh, that's my answer on, on the last one. And, you know, the first one, honestly, you know, I, I probably would go with the, the place I haven't been yet, but I'm going to go this year. I think Ohio state playing Wisconsin every year, especially as long as Luke fickles for coach there. I think, you know, that's going to be fun to see o Ohio state play Wisconsin more often. I think, I think that was under the old scheduling model going to be like their cross divisional team for the next four years or whatever. So we probably would have seen that anyway, but you know, that's one team that we haven't seen Ohio state consistently play during the regular season that I'm personally looking forward to seeing them play more during the regular season. Yeah, Dan, like to that point, uh, do I really care like a, a whole lot about like Ohio State playing teams like Illinois, Iowa and Purdue more often? I mean, not not necessarily, you know, but at least it like gives some more rhyme and reason to when those matchups will happen, because, uh, you know, obviously Ohio State was supposed to play. Yeah, you know, Illinois that the during the COVID season and stuff like that, but but they haven't played Illinois since 2017, unless I'm I'm missing something there, Dan. Right? And uh, sounds like right. Recent recent long droughts, you know, in, in matchups with Iowa and Purdue. Uh, you know, it felt like we were talking about those those upset games, those upset wins for Iowa and Purdue for like a, a long time. Where Ohio State, you know, we were trying to kind of writing that that revenge angle for Ohio state, like years after the fact to where there was only like a couple of people still on the Ohio state roster. And it's like, you know, they just didn't necessarily add up all the way to why there had been such a, a drought and things like that. At least, you know, if you, if you don't have the behind the scenes details and things like that. So this adds some, definitely some structure to that for sure. And, you know, Sometimes the, the Rutgers matchup, Dan, I, to give it a little bit of credit, there was some fun this past year when you talk about the uh, the Shiano uh, Day 
face-to-face uh, screaming match there. So that at least did give us that moment. And we were able to get, you know, the, the much talked about uh, breakfast bagel situation uh, in New Jersey as well. So, you know, I, I'll have some fond memories for the, the annual Rutgers matchups, but uh, not necessarily when it comes to the competitive nature of the matchup on the field. Yeah. I mean, I mean, honestly, like if I was looking at just like the conference, like right now in terms of like which team in the big East, I think is probably the worst right now. Like I'd probably pick Indiana, but yeah, you know, Indiana's an easier trip than Rutgers. So if I'm going to be honest, like which, which one am I going to miss the least? It's going to be Rutgers. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree with you there, Dan. Um, but you know, obviously we talked to Gene Smith also about potential future expansion because you know, they just, it does seem to be a, a bit of an arms race to a certain extent. Uh, you know, when you just kind of mentioned some of the ways in which the Big Ten may be trying to mirror the SEC, uh, but with all the kind of fluidity with the conferences and stuff, if, you know, if the SEC continues to expand or the Big Ten continues to expand, then we'll s- probably see it the other way too and things like that. Uh, but, you know, it, it just goes to show that like this isn't necessarily going to be the, you know, the the structure for the schedule in the Big Ten, uh, you know, from here on out until the end of time, because as soon as more expansion takes place, uh, not that they're ex- trying to expand necessarily right now, but Gene Smith said in our interview with him that, you know, it's something they look at every year, uh, you know, look at possible candidates and things like that. You know, things would have to be rethought and reorganized again um, if more expansion took place. Yeah, I think it's telling that this scheduling model was presented as the 2024-25 scheduling model because, you know, you know, the way they did the protected opponents and all that does suggest that they expect it to last more than two years. But I, I do think that's kind of the elephant in the room of all this is if the Big Ten expands further and adds more teams, then the scheduling model is going to have to be redone again. Like what that all that that great stuff we just talked about about playing every team every every year and all that, you add more teams, that might not be possible anymore. There's gonna have to be more rejiggering of the schedule that's gonna have to be figured out. And so you know, it's hard to predict what that could even look like without knowing when expansion might happen next, who those expansion candidates might be. I mean, you know, let's let's say the Big Ten adds four teams. Could we get back to a point where there's two 10-team divisions and you play those nine teams in your division every year and then you just play the other side in the Big Ten championship game? Like, that's possible. Like, there's a lot of things that could be possible if uh, another round of expansion happens. And so... Uh, we're going to have to, to some degree, just kind of wait and see un- until that time comes. But, you know, I, I think that's still kind of the elephant in the room with all this. And, you know, you think back to, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, but the Big Ten was announcing schedules like five, six years out in advance. Now they're just going two, three, I guess, whatever you want to call it in terms of 2024 and 2025. So I think to me, what that tells me is, they don't expect any other team, at least right now, they don't expect any other team to join the Big Ten sooner than the 2026 football season. Could that change in 2026? Absolutely. Dan, perhaps we could even see the return of the beloved uh, leaders and legends uh, divisions in the Big Ten as well, <laughs> if further expansion takes place. No, but Dan, we should probably talk about you know one of the the more controversial aspects of this you know divisionless structure. Uh, from Ohio State's perspective, that's been a you know a much talked about you know concept well before this has even you know come into effect. Which is, of course, that you know with Ohio State and Michigan still being you know a protected you know final week of the the regular season rivalry matchup there, but you know without the divisions, of course, Ohio State and Michigan, if they're the the two top teams in the conference, could then play back to back games. Uh, you know the the final week of the regular season, and then regardless of the the result, depending on the Big Ten standings, of course, they could also play again in the Big Ten championship game, which is you know something that that could have happened in recent years had there not been divisions. Uh, and you know, I, I, a lot of people push back on that concept, saying that'll that you might you know bastardize uh, the 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 sanctity of the the rivalry and things like that because this is the way it's always been. And you know, seeing them, you know, will it take something away from the regular season matchup, especially like it, like I like I just said, where like if, if it doesn't matter who wins that game and they're both and uh, you know, going to go to the big 10 championship game anyway, you know, how will that impact the intensity of that game? But now that that prospect is actually upon us, Dan, do you have any, you know, changing thoughts, you know, compared to when 
this was first kind of kicked around um, or, you know, what are your thoughts generally speaking on it? Yeah, I mean, it's going to happen. Like, it, it's it's only a matter of time before it's going to happen now. I mean, especially with where, you know, Michigan is now as a program. I mean, the way Michigan's recruiting, they, they look like they're setting themselves up to continue to be an elite program now. And so it's going to happen. It could happen as soon as the first year of this new model in 2024. Now, you know, I I say that, you know, I do, I do think one thing that, you know, I've probably overlooked somewhat when I talk about this and maybe gets overlooked somewhat in the grand scheme of things is like, like, I mean, USC is a top team in college football last year. Like, like USC is going to come in and immediately be a championship contender in the big 10 too. So that is one factor. Even when we talk about like the easier path to the big 10 championship for Ohio state is like, you are adding, you know, at least one more team in here. That's going to be a very real conference championship contender in your conference. You know, I don't, you know, I don't look at UCLA as that right now. I think they're a team that's going to be somewhere in that second to middle tier of the conference below, you know, the four heavyweights who I would consider to be Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, and USC. But you are throwing USC into that equation. And so that does, you know, you, it's easy to look back and say, okay, Ohio State and Michigan would have played in the Big Ten Championship game in three of the last five years if it had been divisionless. But when you start adding more teams into that, that does decrease the odds of that to some extent. You know, with that being said, like I, I do think the scenario that you present is a realistic and plausible one. That you know, you could go into the Big Ten Championship game, you could go or you could go into the last week of the regular season. Ohio State and Michigan could both be eleven and zero, and they both already know they're going to Indianapolis no matter the result of that game. So will that take something away from the game in that situation? Like, I don't really know how it couldn't, right? I mean, if, if both teams know they're going to play again the next week, they know that not everything is on the line in that one game, then yeah, I think it's going to take something away from it. I mean, I think, uh, you know, obviously I'm sure both teams would go into that going, we want to sweep them, but they're still not the same is just having one game, one chance to get those bragging rights for an entire year. Now, now, if you come out of it and you lose both games, that's probably going to feel even worse than if you just lost one. But I do think that regular season matchup would lose some of that cachet that it's always had. Uh, you know, at the same time, I think it again goes back to, and I think Gene alluded to this when he was asked about it on Big Ten Network, that both of those teams now are, are are in position where they're trying to position themselves for the best possible opportunity to make the CFP every year. And if that means playing each other in back-to-back -back weeks, that's something both sides are willing to do if it increases their own individual chances of getting into the college football playoff. You know, and I think... You know, that's something like, again, I mean, if you look at if they play each other in back to back weeks and they split the series, which would mean they both qualified the Big Ten Championship game, I think that probably means both teams are going to be in the college football playoff. And so, you know, I think both teams are willing to live with that for the idea that it increases their likelihood of getting into the Big Ten Championship game. But, you know, I, I, I do think that it does take, a little something away from that game in the scenario where it doesn't matter who they're both going to go to the big 10 championship game. I, I still don't, I don't, I still don't like the idea of just saying the game's not going to matter anymore. Like it's always going to matter, but it is true that there's probably going to be some years ahead where there's not necessarily as much on the line as there was when both teams could make the but where only one of those teams could make the big 10 championship. You know, that, that being said, like, again, I think there's also going to still be scenarios where, you know, if they're at the top and USC or Penn state or whoever else is at the top of a conference, there's going to be scenarios where they're still both playing for one spot in that big 10 championship game, or maybe they, Maybe you go into the game with the possibility that both of them could make it, but then depending on how results go, maybe only the winner makes it. And so I still think 
more often than not, that Ohio State Michigan game is going to have real stakes attached to it. But, you know, I, it does take a little something away from that regular season game if you already know you're going to play Michigan again. Well, Dan, even just take away the fact that it is Ohio State Michigan, you know, the, the, the most storied, you know, historical rivalry in, in college football. And just think about the fact that, like, this isn't a situation where two teams play, you know, in the, the conference championship game. And then, you know, they play a, a CFP semifinal and rematch in the national championship, like just two teams playing in back to back weeks in general, like is already kind of a novel concept in college football in the first place. Obviously, there's uh, plenty of other sports where, where teams, you know, match up back to back, kind of have a series like that. Uh, but that just is a, is a whole different element there when you've got a team, you know, ha- having to, to come off of the result of one game, you know, game plan and play the same exact team a week later. Uh, and then especially when you when you throw in it being Ohio State, Michigan, I mean, uh, yeah, think about the, the the quotes that could come out of that whole situation, too, from our perspective, Dan, just like two straight weeks of the game. Uh, but then, you know, the, the weird thing about it is like what what happens in a world where they they play in the regular season, they rematch in the Big Ten championship game, and then they they end up somehow playing again in the CFP once because, you know, with the field opening up and everything. I mean, it's probably unlikely. You know, even th- this past year, we saw a situation where, you know, the, the rematch could have happened in the national championship game. It didn't end up happening. Um, and so, you know, do I think that a, a year, you know, it, it is likely to come soon where Ohio State and Michigan not only play one time, but three times in the same season? I don't think so. Uh, but it's it, it is possible, Dan. We, we are living in a world where that could actually take place. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely possible. And I mean, you know, I think, you know, again, to that point, like. You know, it's not highly probable that we're going to see Ohio State and Michigan play three times in the same season in any given year, but it definitely could happen at some point. And I do think, you know, it is as of next year going to be in very much increasingly likely that we are going to see Ohio State and Michigan play twice in the same season in the near future, whether that means a rematch in the Big Ten championship game or it means a rematch at some point in the college football playoff. Like the, the odds of that now happening twice in one year have increased. And, you know, I think for people who really love the tradition of the rivalry, that's going to be a hard thing to accept. Like it's, it's going to be weird if we come out of a season where Ohio state and Michigan played each other twice and both teams win once, like who gets the bragging rights for the next year? in that scenario, you know, probably the team who won the later game is probably going to be the team that feels like it has more bragging rights because that would mean they either won the big 10 championship over the other, or they advanced further in the playoff than the other, but you know, it's just going to give a different feel. But, you know, I also think that we're going to get used to it. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's always been a faction of the college football fan base that's been very resistant to change in the sport. I mean, even when the college football playoffs started, I think there was resistance toward it. And I think it's now something that by and large, we've all kind of accepted and embraced as part of college football. And so this is just the next evolution of college football and like, like it or not, the sport is about to become even more driven by the college football playoff than it already is now. And so that's why, as we kind of sum up all this discussion on the Big Ten's new schedule, it all ultimately goes back toward what improves the Big Ten's chances of getting multiple teams in the playoffs every year. It all ultimately goes back to that. Why? Because one, I mean, that's become the goal of the sport. You know, it's kind of like in basketball the goal is to get as many teams as possible in the NCAA tournament that's now going to become the goal with the college football playoff and there's a lot of money to be made the more teams you have in the college football playoff the bigger share of that CFP revenue you are going to get and so you know it it all funnels back toward that as much as we love the regular season in college football you know and as much as I think college football has the best regular season in sports the reality is that this sport, especially next year, once it expands to 12 teams, is going to become increasingly playoff driven. And some people will like that. Some people won't. 
but that's just the reality of where we're headed. And there's no question that this schedule was designed with that in mind. Dan, let's switch gears here a little bit and talk to some, you know, more locally based stuff that that we've been taking part in and covering here in Columbus uh, over the past week or so. Uh, Of course, Ohio State started its summer high school football camp uh, sessions last week. We've got two of those in the books um, as of Tuesday as we're recording this. Uh, Two more, though, coming right at you back to back on Wednesday and Thursday. So look out for more uh, news, updates, highlights, everything like that uh, on 11warriors.com. Specifically, you know, Garrett Hodge and and obviously Dan on Twitter as well with with those, you know, uh, updates and and everything like that. But Dan, I guess from the first two camps uh, that you were at, what stood out to you most? Who stood out to you most? um, And what were your major takeaways from those first two camp sessions? Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm still getting a little bit used to this new format. Um, I like it. It's 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 probably better for us uh, in terms of efficiency. But, you know, it used to be in before this year, the camps were formatted where the offensive linemen and defensive linemen would do their drills in the morning. And then the skill players would all do their stuff in the afternoon. So when you had the two separate sessions, you kind of had more opportunities to watch the players you really wanted to watch for an extended period of time. Whereas at these camps, I've felt myself bouncing around a lot more because I want to, I want to see all the different guys I'm there to see, but when they're all going at the same time and you know, the competitive portion of it is really only like 20 minutes long and they're all going at once. It just doesn't allow you to, to lock in on any one prospect and watch all of their reps the same way you potentially could in, in past years. So I think because of that, like who stood out to me the most isn't quite as clear as as maybe it would have been in past years but you know i i will say like being at those camps i i think my eyes have naturally gravitated toward the wide receiver position at both of those camps and specifically one player in that group at each of those camps the first camp that being chris henry chris henry jr who is uh going to be one of the top prospects in his class uh and who you know We've seen the success Ohio State is having right now with a son of a famous NFL player uh, having a great career at wide receiver at Ohio State. And you can see the potential for Chris Henry Jr. to be the next in line. You can see uh, the genetics. You can see the skill uh, that Chris Henry Jr. has to uh, develop into an elite wide receiver, uh, even though he's only going into his sophomore year of high school. And so you know, he certainly caught my eye a lot during the first day of camp. And then on Monday, uh, Mylon Graham, who, you know, it's interesting because I'll be honest, when Mylon Graham camped at Ohio State a year ago, I didn't know who he was. I didn't watch him at all because he was unranked. He didn't have any offers. And when he got the offer after a camp, I'm like, who's this? And it was very different on Monday because he was a guy everybody was watching on Monday because now he's a five-star prospect. He's committed to Ohio State. And you could see why watching him out there. His, his route running ability his explosiveness, uh, you could see a very advanced skill set for a guy who's still in high school and, and still learning how to play the game. And you could certainly see the potential that Brian Hartline sees in him, that he could be one of the next guys in line of this uh, elite wide receiver development factory that Ohio State is going on. And so I think uh, for me, you know, those are two guys that really caught my eye. Griffin, was there anyone who really caught your eye at those two camps? Well, Dan, how about the the matchup, you know, with Henry and a guy that was guarding him in some of those, you know, one-on-one sessions, uh, Dorian Brew, who is uh, the the number one player in Ohio um, in the class of 2025, a 6'2 cornerback from Clay- Clayton, Ohio, out of Northmont. Uh, that was a guy that, that uh, you know, had, had some good reps against a guy as talented as Chris Henry. Uh, and, and obviously as a guy with a, you know, six, two frame at cornerback, uh, that those are some, you know, pretty impressive things there. And, and I know, uh, Dan, isn't he being recruited, um, as a kind of an athlete or a wide out in some places, but, uh, I think he, he would rather stay, uh, at cornerback. I think that's, that's some stuff that, um, you guys were talking to him about the other day. Yeah. He's been recruited, uh, to play both positions by a lot of schools, but I think, you know, him and Ohio state are both in agreement that corner, uh, is probably his best position going forward. I mean, it's just 
Some of it's just like the upside there, like the athleticism and that size at six, two, like, you know, he, he's big for a corner. He's got the athleticism to play the position. And so I think his upside to be an elite player is, is higher at corner than it is at receiver. And so, uh, yeah, he's certainly a guy who's going to be a very high priority target for Ohio state in, in that 2025 class. I mean, we saw them, you know, looking for more size at corner by bringing in a guy like Davis and Igbenosin, uh, this off season via the transfer portal. And I think Dorian Bruce, a guy who's got some of that size and physicality that, you know, he, he could bring that to Ohio state as well. If they're able to land him in a couple of years. Another matchup on Monday, Dan, was a top running back in the nation, five-star prospect, uh, Jordan Davidson out of California, uh, was at Ohio State camping, working with Tony Alford, uh, and and a little matchup that was fun to watch was him going against uh, a four-star linebacker prospect, Tarvis Alford, also in the 2025 class, uh, him being a a prospect out of Florida. They were going back and forth in kind of a, you know, a running back, uh, you know, route running little uh, a drill there Dan one one on one so that was also uh, one of the more fun matchups to watch given the caliber of talent and prospect on the field there yeah those are two guys that you know Ohio State is also very high on in that 2025 class Davison uh, probably their top target at running back in that class certainly one of the best running backs in the country and somebody who they would uh, really love to land at that position and then offered I think a guy who really solidified his his standing as one of the top linebackers on their board in that class with his performance on Monday. And it sounded like uh, he left Ohio State feeling really good about uh, what he saw there and his connections with the coaches there. And so uh, certainly those are two guys who I think Ohio State has a real chance to land and uh, would be two uh, very big gets from out of state for the Buckeyes. But Dan, perhaps the biggest news you know, following Monday's camp session was the fact that Ohio State received a commitment from four-star New Jersey safety Jalen McLean, um, who uh, was actually the, the the first defensive back commitment uh, in the class, Dan, for Ohio State, and also just uh, you know an important piece because Ohio, that 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 class was obviously loaded with offensive guys, uh, with with McLean now being just the third defensive commit overall in the class, uh, the only two defenders before him being linebackers Garrett Stover and Peyton Pierce yeah I mean certainly uh you look at the goals for this month for Ohio State and recruiting for the 2024 class I mean defense is very much at the top of that list you know there's still some offensive players who Ohio State is pursuing heavily in the class I think you know the top guy they'd really love to get right now would be Brandon Baker who's the top ranked offensive tackle in the class from California you know Ohio State uh, could definitely still use a another top tackle in this recruiting class. And so they'd love to land a guy like that. Uh, you know, they're, they're trending pretty well right now for two more receivers in the class, those being Jeremiah McClellan and Elijah Moore. Uh, Debarian Witten, the tight end from Glenville, uh, also remains a top target for the Buckeyes on the offensive side of the ball. But defense is really the big priority right now for uh, Ohio State in recruiting. Specifically, like you mentioned, defensive backfield and defensive line. And they do seem to, you know, have some momentum there with some guys. You know, I think obviously, you know, the, the two guys who are really getting talked about a lot right now as, you know, quote unquote, must get guys for the Buckeyes right now are Bryce West and Aaron Scott, the two highly touted cornerbacks from the state of Ohio. Those are the kind of guys you just don't want to let leave the state borders. And so I think, you know, it's probably fair to say those guys are number one and number two in terms of, you know, must gets for Ohio State right now. Uh, They're going to host Peyton Woodyard, who's currently committed to Georgia this upcoming weekend uh, for an official visit. And, you know, he's a guy that I think they feel pretty good about their chances of flipping, even though he's committed to Georgia. And if they were able to land him, that would be. A, a big get at safety. Uh, certainly KJ Bolden, the top safety in the class is, is somebody that Ohio state would also really love to land. And they do have a connection there with, with Perry Eliano actually being his cousin, but it, it does feel like KJ Bolden is trending toward Georgia at this point. And so, you know, I think, you know, Woodyard's probably the, the top guy that I think they have, a, you know, a, a good chance of getting in terms of safety, but it's a good start. Uh, certainly to get Jalen McClain 
uh, who's a highly regarded safety, uh, kind of continues a trend of of New Jersey safeties for the Buckeyes as they got Jaden Bonsu in this past recruiting class. Also, two of their you know most productive safeties in recent years were New Jersey products, those being Ronnie Hickman and, and Jordan Fuller. So I guess there's something in the water, Ms. maybe you said before, something in the bagels on, in their New Jersey <laughs> that is uh, developing safeties that Ohio State really wants. But uh, a good addition there uh, with Jalen McClain. And it's, it's interesting, too, because there's been a lot of talk about Reggie Powers, the safety from Centerville, uh, potentially being uh, an option for Ohio State in this class. You know, Mylon Graham even named Powers as one of the guys right now that he's trying to recruit when I talked to him on Monday. But, uh, it, you know, interestingly, after McLean committed, there were a lot of crystal ball projections that had Reggie Powers going to Michigan State. And so you do wonder if, okay, with McLean being in the class, does that leave Powers on the outside looking in with both of them likely kind of factoring into that bandit strong safety role at Ohio State. Dan, I know you ran through a lot of them right there, but anybody else that Ohio State fans should keep an eye on for potential uh, impending commitments or just guys that appear to be trending towards Ohio State or maybe really interesting guys uh, that have visit visits coming up here soon? Yeah, I mentioned the defensive line, and I think there's, there are several guys right now that Ohio State feels pretty good about its chances with. Uh, a really interesting one is Edric Houston, five-star defensive end out of Georgia. And he actually hasn't made his official visit yet, but there, there's been some uh, you know, smoke there uh, that, that he's a guy that uh, you know, Ohio State's sitting in a good spot with right now, that he's going to be you know, really strongly considering Ohio State coming into his official visit uh, with the Buckeyes. And certainly, you know, I think, you know, you go outside of those corners that we talked about, maybe the next biggest priority for Ohio State in this class is to land a premier pass rusher, a five-star defensive end. Because we talked a lot about what happened last year, where Ohio State was in the thick of it with Keon Keeley and Damon Wilson and Mateo Uyunglele, but ultimately ended up striking out on all of them. So for Larry Johnson and Ohio State, you know, they really need to have a big win at that defensive end position this year. And, and Edric Houston would certainly qualify as that. Uh, another defensive end I think they feel really good about right now is Marquise Lightfoot from Chicago. He just visited Ohio State over the weekend and uh, released a top six shortly after that included Ohio State. And so I think Ohio State's sitting in a good spot with him. Uh, Nigel Smith as well as a guy who's visited Ohio State several times, made his official visit during the first week of June. Uh, they've still got some competition there from Texas, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, but uh, it does feel like you know they're in a good spot uh, with Nigel Smith uh, to uh, potentially add him to their class along the defensive line. And then another guy who visited over the weekend, Jaden Jackson, a defensive tackle from IMG Academy. Uh, he's another guy who's very high on Ohio State and who I think Ohio State is the leader in the clubhouse for right now. And so, you know, I think, uh, you know, again, I think right now, you know, defensive line is a position where Ohio State does not have any commitments yet in the 2024 class. Uh, really important for them to come out of this summer with a few high quality commitments up front. And I think those are four guys who they all have a very real chance of landing right now. Dan, I also got a chance to go to Ohio State's uh, team camp for for basketball at the Schottenstein Center on Friday. It was a two day event, Thursday and Friday. However, with uh, Thursday being the first day of football camp uh, and some just some guys that, you know, weren't weren't actually at the the basketball camp on Thursday. I ended up just going on Friday. Um, and, and one thing that was uh, that, that kind of stunk for Ohio State this year, just with the, the schedule uh, in, in terms of the times in which they were holding the team camp this year, uh, there was some other like big national camp stuff going on. So a lot of the top guys, Dan, uh, a lot of, a lot of really good talent that, you know, might've been there otherwise, or that Ohio state might've been expecting to be there, uh, teams that they're expecting to come in, um, you know, earlier on, a lot of the top guys didn't actually end up making it in there, but I did get to watch, um, some, you know, pretty interesting prospects, uh, nonetheless, uh, got to watch, uh, 2025 power forward, Nikolai, uh, Bundalo, uh, Nicola Bundalo, Dan from Uniontown plays for green high school, um, has an Ohio state offer. He's a six, nine guy. 
Uh, he was uh, he struggled a little bit in the first game that I got to watch. But when he matched up with Northland a couple hours later and he had a, a field day, he might have had like eight dunks in that game. Really skilled guy. Also, Jake Dealer was was watching him play uh, with us for a little bit. And, and I know he was uh, certainly high on on his skill level and stuff like that. As I said, he already has an Ohio State offer as of the last couple of months. He's really been making a name for himself uh, during the spring and summer kind of AAU circuit and everything like that. Uh, another guy, Dan, the the number five prospect in Ohio, just a three star prospect nationally, but you know certainly one of the top players in the Buckeye State. Uh, 2024 small forward Colin White out of Ottawa Glandorf. He helped to get his team into the state championship finals against Lutheran East this past year. Um, he's a guy with a really mature game and, and high basketball IQ. And uh, Jake Diebler was talking to him coming in to his matchup on Friday on the main floor of the Shot and Scene Center and talked to him afterwards. Or there was some smoke like, oh, maybe Ohio State might actually offer this guy because they seem really interested in him. Um, but he did not end up coming out with an offer out of out of the camp. But he, he might be a guy that Ohio State continues to kind of watch Dan because, um, you know, they, they only have one commit in that 2024 class right now with Junie Mobley. Um, and they, they they aren't planning on, you know, bringing in another big class like they have the last couple of years. Uh, but, you know, if things end up falling through, maybe with some, some other, you know, targets that might be a little higher rated in that class, maybe that's a guy they kind of circle back on. Um, Dan, another another player, another local guy um, out of Northland, point guard King Kendrick. Just a you know, he's in the 2026 class, but this is a guy that you know certainly made some noise on social media and things like that because he's he's a an ambidextrous uh, point guard can actually shoot jump shot. We're not just talking about a guy that you know can can make left handed layups or something like that in close. This is a guy that actually shoots that can sh- make jump shots with either hand, uh, which is pretty impressive. Don't know how many guys. Uh, in the country can claim that. Um, and obviously he's still really young, doesn't yet have an Ohio state offer. Uh, a lot of uh, like more offers rolling in for him though, you know, kind of as he progresses here in his career. Um, and he's a guy that, you know, is not lacking confidence. I mean, first of all, Dan, his, his first name is King after all. Uh, and he, he, uh, in a conversation with me and, uh, Bucknuts, Steve Hellwagon after his matchup with, uh, Bundalo's team, uh, he said that he knows he's the best point guard in the country. Uh, so that's going to be a guy, that will be fun to watch, especially given the proximity, obviously, to the Ohio State program. Some other basketball news at Ohio State over the past week is that the Buckeyes are adding former NBA assistant Brandon Bailey as an assistant coach. And that is allowed because of an NCAA rule change. But I will admit I was not aware of until last week that the NCAA will actually now allow college basketball teams to have five full-time assistant coaches rather than just free. And so Jake Diebler, Jack Owens, Mike Nettie will all be back for Ohio State this year, but the Buckeyes will also be adding at least one full-time assistant coach. And the first one will be Brandon Bailey, who previously worked with uh, the Detroit Pistons and the Boston Celtics. And certainly I, I think a welcome site for Ohio State to add to its coaching staff, because, you know, I think, we would all agree that, you know, obviously Ohio State seemed to have some coaching deficiencies with its performance last season. And obviously Chris Holtman is back. All of those other assistants are back. And this rule change ultimately kind of allows Ohio State to not have to worry about making a tough decision there, but still bolster its coaching staff uh, by bringing in some new blood. And, you know, you probably know more about Bailey than I do, but I will be interested to see what he brings to the staff, because I, I, I do think based on the results last year that it was needed to to bring in somebody new uh, to the coaching staff uh, to help uh, Chris Holtman, uh, you know, maybe, you know, not as much with, you know, program management stuff, but kind of in-game management kind of stuff. Yeah, Dan, this is a guy that's worn a lot of different hats in the NBA. He got his first opportunity as a, a video intern with the Celtics in 2011, but then he went on to be you know, an actual assistant coach on Brad Stevens staff there in Boston. He also served as a, a, a G League head coach for two years with the Celtics affiliate program there. Um, he also served as you know, an advanced scout this past year. He was, you know, uh, his title was assistant coach and in, in, in player development uh, in uh, with the Pistons organization. So this is a guy that's, you know, been at the highest level of the sport for many years now and is a guy that I think can can offer 
certainly a lot of good things to the Buckeye program behind the scenes. Uh, you know, th- this is not going to be a guy that's going to be able to go on the road recruiting and stuff like that, Dan. Uh, but he he will be able to be a, an on on court assistant coach, uh, and like you said, kind of some of that schematic stuff maybe. And also he he does have a reputation as being kind of a defensive minded coach as well. Uh, and, th- and that's certainly been an issue for the Buckeyes in recent years. And Dan, I'm also hearing, cause you, you know, you mentioned there that, uh, teams are going to be able to have five assistant coaches up from three. So obviously Ohio State brings in Bailey, that leaves you to wonder, you know, could they also bring in somebody else? Uh, but from what I'm hearing, Dan, it's, it's more likely that Ohio State might kind of elevate somebody already on staff to kind of that fifth position there rather than necessarily bring in some, another person from outside the program. Have you heard anything about what Bailey's role will look like in terms of in-game coaching, like what he might do specifically or how others' roles might be restructured as a result of him coming in? I can't say I have, Dan, but uh, hopefully we'll, we'll get some kind of you know press conference or, or something with Bailey soon, or, or maybe I can look for an interview with him because I know uh, last year we, we had those opportunities with the, the new assistant coaching hires, so that's definitely something to uh, look out for here in the coming weeks. One more piece of news on the basketball front over the past week, and that is that the dream of Ohio State ever playing another game in St. John Arena appears to be dead because Ohio State officially took down the uh, scoreboard that had been at St. John Arena uh, since I believe the 1990s. It had been it had been up there. Uh, Ohio State made the decision uh, to remove uh, that 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 scoreboard last week. You know, we, we, we talked to Ohio state, you know, to get some more information on that. And we were told you know, that, you know, the scoreboard was no longer fully functional, uh, and that Ohio state, you know, doesn't have any plans to, to play any more games in St. John arena. They, they are still using St. John as a training facility. Uh, the women's hockey team has some offices there, the track and field teams, which, uh, of course use the nearby French field house. Uh, they have some offices there. Uh, St. John will continue to be used uh, for the, the skull sessions uh, prior to football games on on Saturdays. But it does appear that uh, those throwback games we saw at, at St. John Arena several years ago are going to be the final basketball games ever played uh, by Ohio State and St. John Arena. Yeah, Dan, it shouldn't be a big surprise. I mean, you know, I, I know people are always saying like, you know, the, the atmosphere is so much better at St. John than it is at the, you know, Schottenstein Center. And is there any chance Ohio State could could ever go back or or have a new place to play that's something like that? And because of all those questions, Dan, I, I kind of reached out and, and had, you know, some some lengthy conversations about kind of the state of affairs at St. John several months ago while the basketball season was was still going on. And, you know, from that conversation, I basically gleaned that, yeah, there's 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 no hope at this point for for St. John because there's just so many structural issues and the compatibility with the equipment. I mean, that was one of the things also from the information we were sent on why the scoreboard was removed. Like uh, the the company that installed the the scoreboard back in the 80s is like went out of business in like 2014 or something like that. So they're they're they don't even have the ability to like get the parts they would need to you know, continue to make that operational. I know like teams still do like lifting and, and strength and conditioning, like moving equipment in and out of there a lot of the time. Um, and then there's still offices for some of the teams as well in St. John. Uh, but yeah, I think the, the writing is on the wall there for St. John, despite, you know, all the memories fans have uh, and the good times they've had in that arena. Yeah. I mean, realistically, it's an outdated building at this point. And, and that's why Ohio State built the Cavelli Center. I mean, the, the other teams besides basketball that used to compete in there, wrestling, volleyball, gymnastics, you know, they've all since moved to the Cavelli Center, which is a more modern facility. Now, you know, I'm of the opinion, like, I'd like to see them play a couple basketball games in Cavelli each year. It's a more in, it's a more intimate setting. Uh, it keeps the sound in better. I remember being there for the uh, TBT games a couple years ago. And I, I thought it was a pretty cool venue for basketball. I don't, I don't think it's imminent that Ohio state's actually going to do that because it has a smaller capacity than the shot. And they've invested a lot of money into the shot. But like, to me, you know, I think that would be the, that would be the modern equivalent of what they did with St. John, you know, several years ago, if they wanted to play a couple games in a more intimate environment, uh, they, they could do that at Cavelli. But yeah, I, I think realistically, you know, the, the choice was made numerous years ago 
when Ohio State decided to build Cavelli that they weren't going to continue to put any more resources into renovating St. John. And when that decision was made, you know, realistically, because Ohio State has not continued to put resources into the upkeep of St. John, that St. John is just no longer a viable facility for Ohio State basketball. Yeah, Dan, they did play a couple of those those men's basketball games during that COVID year, 2020-2021 at the Cavelli Center. But obviously those were uh, Sands fans. So, uh, yeah, that would be an interesting concept moving forward, but I'm not sure how soon we'll see that. Well, we want to thank you all for joining us again here on Real Pod Wednesdays as we roll through a, a busy month on the recruiting trail uh, in June and creep ever closer toward the start of Ohio State football season. So we hope you'll join us again next week for whatever m- news might come about or whatever we might decide to talk about a week from now. Thanks for listening in and enjoy the rest of your week.